Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Alternative Ideas Podcast. We're glad that you're back with us. Uh, it's been an interesting week again with AI news. In some ways, I feel like AI is a little bit less on the news as much as it was in the spring when perhaps there wasn't other things that were kind of keeping everybody's attention. Um, and so that's partly because there's such big national and international news that are sort of dominating the airways right now. But if you scratch a little bit under the surface, at least for me, David, my inbox has not gotten any less full of brand new AI stuff. And so in some ways, AI is picking up steam, even though it's not kind of on the very front line. So my name is Jonathan Brush. I am the CEO of Unbound, and I'm joined today with my co-host, David. Introduce yourself, David. And I am Unbound's IT director and uh, just general nerd who enjoys looking up and figuring out all things technology. So uh, we decided to combine our various perspectives to give uh, you all in the audience some alternative ideas on what uh, AI's impact might look like for you, the everyday person. And so we'll start this week and we're going to get to our news reports here in a moment. But it's just worth noting that if you're paying attention to any of past podcasts. And if you are watching any of these on YouTube, you'll notice that David is not in his typical uh, studio. And that's because David's been traveling. I have not so much so because the wedding that we both attended uh, on Monday happened to be in my neck of the woods. Um, and so we attended a wedding. Uh, one of our colleagues and dear friends and lots of dear friends were in from all over the country. Uh, in fact, we had a, a sort of after party, 4th of July um, get together at my house. And there was, I don't know, like 10, 12, 15 states represented or something like that. It was it was pretty yeah. amazing. And uh, and maybe that's just an alternative idea that we'll lead with here. Uh, that no matter what goes on with AI, um, and I know people are going to have all kinds of crazy things about AI weddings and all kinds of this bizarre stuff. We're not talking <laughs> about that. Uh, just there's nothing that is comparable to attending a wedding and seeing people that you love from all over the country and spending time with them and the kind of deep focus on human relationships that is on display at a typical wedding and will certainly on display at this one. And uh, mm -hmm. so maybe that's just our first alternative idea to kick our, our uh, podcast off with, which is always listen to the technical tech news, uh, especially dire news, um, and all discussions of AI with the context of what it's like to really be human um, and the human relationships that goes with that. So with that, uh, speaking of being human, there's nothing more human than teaching. And yet, David, you have a very interesting uh, teaching article here that you would like to discuss this uh, afternoon. Yes. So uh, I came across this article, which, by the way, any articles that we talk about today will be in the show notes down below. Uh, this article from ZDNet that is talking about how Harvard University is starting to use some AI in uh, aiding with teaching students uh, computer science. Now, the headline of the article is a little misleading. So first of all, I would like to just get on a little side soapbox here and say, uh, don't just read the headline, take the time to actually read the article before getting upset about whatever the headline says, because that's kind of what it's designed to do. Uh, because the, the headline of this article says, Harvard is using chat GPT to teach computer science, which is not technically wrong, but it's a little misleading. What is happening is that uh, they are employing uh, something that they are calling the CS50 bot, which is a generative AI tool that's similar to what you might be familiar with ch with ChatGPT uh, that says, according to the article, uh, to about 70 students this summer as part of the university's intro class to computer science as a support tool that can give students personalized help by understanding their coding challenges with in-depth explanations and providing them immediate feedback. This prevents students from becoming stuck and discouraged when TAs or professors aren't available. So 
in reality, chat GPT is not even the AI in question necessarily. This AI might be based off of it, but it's not actually the AI in question. And it's also the fact that uh, it's not actually really teaching them uh, necessarily. It's just answering some questions. ChatGPT is not creating the curriculum, is not the main focus of the course. What they're doing is that they are utilizing it as uh, a tool to help students with coding, which uh, I found to be particularly interesting. So uh, before I get into any more of my thoughts, Jonathan, I would love to hear what you think about this. Well, I was wondering, David, do you think, you know, when people talk about AI right now, they basically, mm-hmm. I feel like there's a lot of going from nothing to everything. So it's like AI is okay. a thing. And the next thing you know, you're going to go to Harvard and all your professors are going to be cyborgs um, or all your professors hmm. are going to be robots or you're not even going to go to Harvard anymore. So in other words, AI is going to teach you everything. Like, I feel like there's this huge leap that happens. It's like right now you live in a fairly normal world. AI is going to arrive and you're going to live in this world where everything's totally different. But I mm-hmm. feel like, and, and I think it might be a longer transition than most people think. I feel like this is much a much more likely and realistic scenario where mm-hmm. you have not re- eliminated TAs, you've not eliminated professors, but you have given them some really powerful tools uh, that can, for better or worse, uh, change the way a class works, but in an assistive, ty- I don't know if that's a word or not, in an assisting, mm-hmm. I guess is a better way, type of role rather than an absolute sort of front center role. Does that Does that sound ring true to you, David, or do you think that it's going to be a more radical change than that? Uh, I think it depends on the sector. Uh, like we talked about uh, just a couple of weeks ago, how pretty much all software developers are using uh, AI coding tools in some aspects. So I think that there's going to be some sectors that are going to adopt AI tools a lot more universally and a lot more quickly than uh, other sectors. But I do tend to agree with you generally that uh, in comparison to what a lot of people are sort of thinking and visualizing as kind of a worst case scenario type of situation where uh, AI is just completely running all aspects of life. I don't think that's necessarily likely to be happening anytime soon, but I, and I agree. I think this is a pretty realistic example of what tends to is most likely going to be happening and how AI is going to become part of our day-to-day lives in a much more realistic way. I was reading an article, and, and this is not going to be late because I can't remember which one it was. Uh, I was going through a lot of them, and, and this uh, I can't remember specifically which one I pulled this out of. Um, but mm-hmm. just mentioned the fact that um, – well, I think MidJourney got a pretty big update here recently. Uh, that's not mm-hmm. necessarily the articles we're going to talk about today. But so uh, MidJourney, which is – you know, when you're talking about MidJourney and some things like that, there's a lot more – the kind of holy grail right now of AI – uh, from an image generation standpoint is this text image. So I would mm-hmm. say, you know, generate an image of a pine tree standing beside a gray rock on a green field. And I would say that, and then I would get multiple versions of that. And I could then kind of tweak that. Um, but, but, but when you say it, there's that, and then tweak that. And, and that undermines the fact that, that, that what you then imaginatively think is that nobody's going to be painting pictures anymore because you'll just speak it and boom, words, I mean, words will flow and images will generate. But this article mentioned that there's a lot of user interface and that's just code word to say that even if you're using mid journey or even if you're using some of these things, there's a tremendous amount of not this, but that change that, adjust that, move that, tone this down, bring this up. Not quite, not here. Like, like, so mm-hmm. when the final image is AI generated, it is. But it did require an absolutely uh, significant amount of human input to get to that, um, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, so that kind of parallels a little bit here. Um, 
I, I think that uh, David, you're you're not really a coder per se, um, but yeah. you're certainly a tech person, and so mm-hmm. you've got a lot about that here. I mean, I, I'm just thinking I'm not a coder either, but I'm just thinking like how many times when I was doing math in college would I would have loved to have a chatbot say, not that way, dummy, this way, you know, and, and it was like, you know, it's, it's late at night. Of course, I didn't ask during class. I didn't understand enough to know what I didn't know at class. The test is tomorrow. And I'm like, I still don't understand how this formula works. Um, from that standpoint, you know, from a user standpoint, uh, this sounds like a, a pretty nifty upgrade to your learning ability. Right, right. Yeah, I I think that there's a pretty good, uh, that's a pretty good argument. And uh, just thinking in terms of if you are working on a coding project, uh, especially at a university like Harvard, even in an intro to coding class, you're probably going to have programs that are dozens, if not hundreds of lines of code that you have to be able to determine any sort of issues with. And so while a lot of uh, coding software will try to detect issues for you, a lot of the time what you end up having to do is just manually go through and examine each line of code and try to figure out where did I make the mistake? Where is something that is technically working, but is not performing the instruction that I'm actually wanting it to perform? And so for teachers and TAs, that is a lot more tedious of a process because you're a human that's having to sit there and read through lines of code. And AI inherently is going to be much, much faster at being able to just read through the lines of code and interpret what those are supposed to do. And based on the student's queries, say, oh, you wanted this block of code to do this, but you used the wrong term here. And so it's actually doing something different, even though your coding software didn't detect the error. And so, yeah, I think in this specific capacity, I think that it could actually be really helpful uh, because ultimately, yeah, I don't think that uh, AI should be teaching us uh, the fundamentals necessarily of the importance of uh, computer science and some of the theory behind it and things like that. But for this specific aspect of computer science, I think it could be really helpful and save uh, quite a bit of time. Well, one more thought on that. Um, mm-hmm. what, what it strikes me is that those kinds of things where it can go through code and, and detect errors and, and look for anomalies and, and fix them and things like that ultimately means that code becomes more accurate, more precise. Mm-hmm. And uh, so as an alternative idea here to come at it from a totally different perspective, um, I'm a shooter. I like to shoot guns. And um, because of that, there's this, you know, if you get into guns as a hobby, uh, there's this kind of break, right? And they say that, you know, there was a time when skilled labor in the United States was really cheap. And so if you buy an old Smith & Wesson double action revolver from the 1950s, and 1960s, all those pieces would have been, hand, excuse me, hand fitted and hand polished and hand shaped. And so there was a smoothness and a quality to the bluing and to the machinery and all those kinds of things that just made them almost works of art. And so there's a, there's a knee jerk reaction to say that those things must be better. But here's the strange reality that if you're a shooter today, uh, the tolerances that are, are allowed by CNC machines, which I don't know that CNC is a form of AI, but it's certainly a form of advanced technology, mm-hmm. uh, means that it is so easy to precisely cut uh, tolerances and firearms that one, they work tremendously better. So they're far more reliable. So while you might get a really smooth Smith and Wesson double action revolver from the 1950s, uh, you're just as likely to get a sloppy junk one because that gunsmith was just starting his career. And mm-hmm. so, you know, you, you've got this wide variation. The tolerances are different. Uh, the, the, the gap between the cylinder and the forcing cone is different. Just all these little measurements. Whereas today, you know, if you order that same gun from Smith and Wesson, uh, maybe you don't have the hand polishing and hand fitting, but you have this extraordinarily high uh, um, 
uh, quality in terms of the way it's cut with everything that matches. So you can almost make the parts interchangeable. And then here's a really remarkable thing. Factory guns today shoot uh, in a way that is with, with an accuracy level that could only be achieved by thousands of dollars of custom work 50 years ago or 40 years mm, ago. Uh-huh. And so what has happened is that the entire industry, the quality standards have come up to the point now that you can buy a relatively cheap off-the-rack regular factory rifle that will shoot groups that are sometimes 90 or more percent better, maybe two or three times, four times better than a custom rifle could have shot several years ago. Um, And so the point here is that when technology like AI comes along, you have an entire industry where all of a sudden accuracy and quality rises up. Then all of a sudden, as a consumer, you start expecting a level of quality that is far beyond what any other previous generation thought was even possible. Mm -hmm. And uh, that can be so – happen so quietly that you don't realize it. I guess another um, example of this would be, you know, when I was growing up, driving a car for 100,000 miles was considered to be absolutely insane. And Mm -hmm. Mm 200,000 miles was like the holy grail. And if you did that, you know you would be replacing uh, mufflers and clutches and carburetors. basically a whole new car after that point. Yeah, you'd just be working on so And yet, and, you know, this is uh, an interesting fact, but, you know, I drive a whole lot of vehicles that are over 200,000 miles, and most of them have only had um, brakes and oil changes, brakes repaired and oil changes. In other words, they have, you know, what's strange to me is I have – two vehicles right now that have over 200,000 miles that have their original muffler, uh, which, hmm. you know, when I was a kid, you know, by 16, I, ex- you know, replaced mufflers in cars five, six times a year through my whole family's fleet. You know I mean? It was just, it yeah. was a fairly standard thing. Yeah. Um, and that also has to do with that rising technological CNC machines and things like that. So it's interesting to think about what that accuracy will do moving into some of these uh, more soft, less hard technologies like coding, writing, editing, those kinds of things. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's a that's a really uh, good way to put it. Really interesting perspective on it. Well, shifting over to an article that you had found this week, Jonathan, we talk a lot about uh, what uh, AI means for everyday people, but uh, we actually got to see an article that talks a little bit and uh, gave a study on what some everyday people think about AI. So uh, tell us a little bit about the article you found. Yeah, again, the article will be linked in the show notes, but this is uh, from TheVerge.com, and it was uh, they pulled 2,000 people, which is not an enormous sample, but it's it's relevant, um, and asked them about AI. And um, there's some pretty interesting things here. You know, 57% of people have heard of uh, ChatGPT, but let's just stop for a second. That, you know, that's, that's just under 60%, so that's a pretty fat group there that mm-hmm. has never even heard of ChatGPT. And then it just drops uh, incredibly as you come down through that, so 46% Bing Chat. 45% uh, for my AI from Snap, 38% from Bard from Google, and then Midjourney Stable Diffusion, which anybody who's studying AI right now, you're hearing those names a lot. Uh, you're mm-hmm. looking at less a quarter or less of the population has even heard of them. And so we're mm-hmm. not talking about, you know, uses them. We're talking about even as heard of these things are. Um, so there, there is a, a a large swath of population that still is not paying any attention to um, AI overall. Um, in fact, it's dominated by millennials. Uh, 36 million millennials um, are paying attention and using AI. Uh, 35 million Gen Z. And then, of course, it falls off pretty dramatically for Gen X and boomers. And so um, – but what is interesting is that uh, when asked, well, these technologies have a big impact on society, uh, AI is ranking 74%. That's far above almost anything else, including electric cars. 
And so mm-hmm. I think that those juxtapositions are pretty interesting to pay attention to. You have a population that generally sees this as being a bigger deal than electric vehicles. Um, probably the biggest technological change that's happened in a while. And yet you have very little interaction with the main players in the space right now. And that interaction is almost entirely at the younger generation. So two things. If you're in the older generation, um, this is probably a big change and it's worth paying attention to. If you're in the younger generation, this is still a frontier. And I don't know how much longer it'll be a frontier, but you still have a lot of opportunity to be an early mover, an early player in this. And, uh, you know, we know from technological changes in the past um, that early players tend to have disproportionate awards. Um, so, you know, just kind of on a, on a grand kind of scale here in terms of, you know, career advice or preparation. And when I say I don't mean like you should go be an AI technician, I mean just being able to use AI in any field. So what, no, what, so this is interesting in that, you know, Yes, there was rewards for people that were programming the internet back in the late 90s. Uh, there were bigger rewards in some cases for the people who figured out how to use the internet in whatever job they were doing. So the first realtors that started listing their stuff online, the first colleges that got an online website, uh, the first uh, brick and mortar st- st- stores that started selling online, uh, the first um, newspapers that started printing articles online, like all of those places had some significant advantages to being early adopters and kind of getting up ahead of the game. Now, you can say the same thing on YouTube. I mean, lots of people listen to us will be familiar with Dude Perfect. Uh, Dude mm-hmm. Perfect, you know, there's lots of trick shot people out there right now. Dude Perfect dominates them all in a way that is just, you know, it's not even a competition. But that's mm-hmm. because they got in early. Um, and so the early adopters, you know, they, they didn't invent video production. They didn't invent YouTube. Uh, instead, they did something using the platform that nobody else had done and got rewarded for it in a really big way. Um, so no matter what field you're in, uh, being able to start to understand how AI will impact your field has some really big early return advantages. David, anything from this survey that caught your eye? Yeah, I honestly thought that uh, the section that uh, was most interesting to me was the uh, part that was talking about uh, how people thought AI would impact their work and whether they thought that AI would make uh, their work better or worse and uh, basically whether AI would be able to do a better job than they would at certain tasks. And uh, what's surprising is that the numbers for almost every task that uh, was uh, submitted in these questions is that about 50% of people said that, yeah, I think that AI could do a better job and do my work better in this particular area than I could as opposed to worse. Uh, and so I thought that's really interesting because I would be very curious to hear a bit more of a follow-up on what they mean by better or worse, because there's a lot that goes into the quality of work like this rather than just how good is it, how bad is it? Because, and when it comes to just generating something, just generating a thing that is passable, I think AI is extremely good at that, especially with the large language models like ChatGPT right now, is that they are very, very good at generating something that at least at a surface level glance looks human enough in nature that could pass as decent enough. But I think that if you take uh, any sort of hard look at pretty much any of the work that uh, a human will do versus what an AI will do for most of these things, I think you'll find that a human with enough time will be able to do leaps and bounds better than them. So 
that was kind of the thing I found most interesting. Yeah, there's an interesting sociological trend there. Um, I think maybe the part that I find disturbing is at what point did people cede their ability to do work? Right. I mean, like the, the, you would mm-hmm. almost hope for a bit of a stubbornness there that says, no, I'm not, I can do my job better than some stupid robot. Um, and so I wonder how much of that is a an awe for AI, which is possible, or a lack of connection to their work. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and the reason I'd say that is that I think if you split this poll and you divided it and asked people who are passionate about their work to answer and then people who are not passionate about their work, mm-hmm. I suspect mm-hmm. it would be very different. Um, yeah. I don't know. They didn't do this in the in the poll, but I, I would be really curious to see what that would do. I suspect the people that are passionate about their work would uh, pretty strongly dispute this idea that AI could do better than they did. Um, so I, I wonder how much of this is people uh, – you know, sort of despairingly say I can AI could do better, or maybe if it's it's a hopeful thing. <laughs> you know, maybe mm-hmm. it's a, a you know AI could do this, and and that's because any dumb person could do this, and I don't really want to do this anymore. You know, I mean, like there there might be some that sure, there. Yeah. So um, there's another piece in here that there's an awful lot of support for laws and regulations, and so mm-hmm. uh, you know mm-hmm. the, the internet was considered the wild west for a while, and it probably lasted for a pretty long time where it was very lightly regulated or not at all, and some of that's changed now. I suspect the time for AI will be much um, shorter. Um, mm-hmm. I suspect that there will be actually pretty fast legislative action. Um, so you're going to see a lot of tightening of regulations and, and laws and stuff like that around AI pretty quickly here. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it was interesting. And um, so, yeah, for my next story, I think I'll, I'll combine it with sort of the thing that I've been thinking about this week uh, mm-hmm. with AI. But so, David, what's what's your kind of AI thought been happening this week? So one thing that I figured it might be helpful to kind of talk about a little bit with uh, the people who might be listening to or watching our podcast is uh, just terms that are thrown around when it comes to artificial intelligence. Because if you're not keeping up to date and you don't have any sort of technical expertise, the terms that can get thrown around when it comes to AI and any sort of related technologies can be extremely confusing. So uh, the, a really interesting example of this that just happened recently, uh, our very first episode of this podcast, uh, we talked about uh, Apple's WWDC conference that was uh, just a, a developer conference. And uh, they talked substantially about a lot of different features that Apple was going to be introducing into their products. But what was very interesting is that they never used the words the word AI or artificial intelligence once they never used it, which is fascinating. Uh, they used very frequently the term machine learning. And uh, there's a, there's a video by a YouTuber uh, by the name of uh, Marquez Brownlee that I'll link down below that is uh, really interesting on this topic that kind of gave me the idea to talk about this, uh, there where he basically explains that part of the reason that Apple does this specifically and does this with a lot of terms outside of AI is because they want to be able to use terms that they have control over because Apple is very much a company that wants to have control over the messaging around pretty much all of their products and they feel as though terms like AI that are just so like such hot buzzwords and is not something they have enough control over. They just decide, let's stay away from that. And let's use terms that are safer that we can control the narrative around. So, uh, but yeah. And so, but I think that from a consumer standpoint, when you tune into an Apple event and you hear them say machine learning, 
And you hear it in reference to letting your autocorrect uh, get better at recognizing the words you're wanting to say. You're going, okay, wait a minute. Isn't this pretty much the same kind of thing that AI is doing? But they're not saying AI, they're saying machine learning. What's the difference here? And uh, I just want to uh, throw out probably, honestly, more than anything, just an encouragement to anybody who is confused is that that is completely warranted because the terms around AI are extremely loose right now. And there is not a very set definitive uh, definition for a lot of these terms. A lot of them tend to be uh, very similar in nature and tend to be different words for the same thing. If you go in uh, higher technical fields, uh, or if you are going into sort of a technology academia, then you will probably have people who are able to give you firm definitions of machine learning is this artificial intelligence is this these are the minute differences but especially if you are just a uh, a lay person who is just looking at news media news media does not have nearly as much care about uh picking their terms and choosing their words wisely and what they mean so uh, really, I think my uh, alternative idea is just uh, don't get too caught up and too confused uh, uh, about whether uh, terms are different or the same or not, because a lot of them do tend to be uh, towards similar things. Uh, I think just uh, especially if you aren't as technically inclined, just looking to understand as best you can just what the driving force behind technologies like artificial intelligence is and just some of the basics of how it works is going to allow you to say, hear Apple talk about machine learning and go, oh, they're using machine learning to accomplish this specific task in this way. And so I can understand that it's pretty much the same thing that uh, you know they're using chat GPT for. And you don't have to have a tech degree to figure that out. Yeah. I think that anytime you're talking about, especially something new, definitions become so important. Um, mm -hmm. We talked about, you know, I, I talked about shooting earlier and, you know, if you enter any new sport, um, I've, I've grown up shooting and so I've known that sport for a long time, but I recently got into motorcycles. And so like, there's all this, there's this whole new vocabulary. There's all these new things. And then I was with some people uh, this week who were pilots and uh, just listening to them talk, you know, they immediately go into numbers and uh, <laughs> model numbers and, and terms that I just left me completely not understanding really without enough context to even know what they're talking about. They, they were throwing out a bunch of numbers and I didn't know what they're, what, what the plane looked like. And yeah, you know, if you did that same thing with motorcycles or guns, I would know exactly, you know, when you throw out those numbers, what we're talking about. And mm -hmm. so there's a, you know, and anytime you are new to something, being able to figure out the terms and the definitions of the terms and who's defining the terms and why is a really important way to be able to kind of get into and, and figure out what's going on. Um, and I, I, we should say that that, you know, weaponizing those terms or controlling those definitions, uh, to some extent, the way Mark, Apple does, um, that's a powerful way to impact the way you think. Um, mm -hmm. And so even things like artificial intelligence, there's some interesting definitions of those words, right? Mm -hmm. Is intelligence really yep. what we're describing? Not really. We're talking about a yep. set of of uh, formulas and functions, not really something that's thinking the way we really think that humans think. There's nothing mm -hmm. like that. There's nothing ever close to that right now. And artificial, artificial in what way? I mean, it's real stuff mm -hmm. happening, mm -hmm. right? You know, and so so it's almost an oxymoron. Artificial intelligence. How is that possible? <laughs> how, how how do we have yeah. a non-real intelligence? Um, and so just just even kind of digging into that a little bit can really help give you some perspective and and help you be more analytical and just 
discerning was being said and was being done and was actually out there. Um, I think one of the big things for me is, is we've done this podcast and committed to doing it through the summer and, and trying to think our way through this was uh, just realizing how much hype is on the headline and often how little is behind it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you would think from the headlines that Skynet is here and the Terminator is coming shortly. <laughs> yep. Um, and then the reality is not anywhere like that. And so there's some, mm-hmm. yeah, there's some really fascinating realities out there. Um, and there's some significant things to worry about, but it's not nearly quite what it looks like from the headlines. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, David, um, I had some, I have a couple of threads I'm going to try to pull together here and hopefully this makes sense. Um, I listened to a podcast from Jocko Willink. For those of you who don't know, Jocko Willink is a um, retired Navy SEAL. Um, he's written several books. We use some of them in our leadership training for our Ascent team leaders in Unbound. And so we're pretty familiar with this stuff. I mean, as a podcast, it's long form like Joe Rogan, which means I don't listen to them very often. I never have that much time, but I, I pick through and probably listen to one every 50 or 75 or something like that that catches my eye. There's a shorter one. Um, it, was, it was released on May 30th. It was uh, Jocko Underground. It's interesting. I couldn't find it on the website, so there's no link below. It showed up in my podcast feed, and so I, I assume you have to Google or something to find it. But uh, it was called ChatGPT versus Jocko Willink. And uh, what was really fascinating was they asked ChatGPT to define Jocko Willink, to talk about his things. And, and what was striking to me was that when ChatGPT did so, they said what on the surface would look to be the case. So they talk about Jocko Willink having a hard-charging leadership style. What would be some of the criticisms of Jocko Willink? Well, he only has one perspective, and he's not nuanced and all those kinds of things. If you look at a picture of Jocko Willink, he looks like what you might expect a bruising seal warrior, maybe lineman, you know, like a a Mm hard-charging physical warrior type to be. And so – ChatGPT's description would meet that. And if you look at clips of him on the internet, and especially on YouTube, he talks about getting up early and and, and not resting and, you know, get it done and, and, and some kind of stereotypical advice that you might expect from a Navy SEAL. The problem with this is, is that Jocko Willink has written a book called The Dichotomy of Leadership. <laughs> and so, so even a, even a fairly cursory examination of, of Willink's writings or certainly listening to any amount of his podcasts will, uh, portray a, a pretty nuanced figure there. And I'm no apologist for Jocko Willink. I, I, I'm not even a big super fan necessarily. I, I know who he is and I've appreciated some of the work he's done. Uh, but it was almost laughable to hear ChatGPT's descriptions because just a small working knowledge of who he is would show those to be at very, the very best, this very kind of surface level, um, thing. So I was thinking about that and I was thinking about it in a couple of terms. One, we talked last week about you know, AI looking more like Star Wars, right? So that mm-hmm. you know, we have droids in Star Wars, but they're never the main characters. I was thinking about the the character in the series C three PO. Obviously, C three PO has these amazing data banks. He's always talking about I'm versed in three million languages or three billion languages, and he knows all mm-hmm. this stuff. And so the characters in the film often refer to him. And they need certain information from him, and you know, and he can he can talk to other computers and all those kinds of things in a way that no human could do. Mm-hmm. And yet he's played for comedic effect because he fails to understand even uh, uh, the the very cursory uh, human emotion that happens. He, he constantly misreads the relationship between the main characters, especially Han Solo and Princess Leia, particularly in the Empire Strikes Back movie. Um, and, and, and what's interesting is that everybody in the audience laughs because everybody in the audience gets what C-3PO can't. It's, it's as obvious as a neon sign. Almost nobody can miss it. Everybody knows what's going on. And yet it's too subtle for a droid to catch. 
And this is interesting because ChatGPT is sort of like that, right? It, it, it did mm. a, a quick stereotype of Willink that anybody that spends five minutes studying Jocko Willink can realize is just a cursory surface explanation of this. Um, now, combined with one other piece, I listened to a podcast this week by Mike Rowe. Um, so it's the most recent one if you look at the date of this podcast and what his was. And um, he interviewed an astronaut and they were talking about various things. But at one point, Rowe asked him about um, you know, fully automated ships and things like that. And he said something that really – I paused it and rewound it and like I jumped back and read and listened to it again. He said, you can never eliminate the human element. And so what we have to be careful about is when we're building automations – into things that fly at high speeds in ways that can kill things, uh, kill people, right? So that would be like space shuttles and craft going to the moon and to Mars and to the International Space Station, that you have a choice. You can rely on the failings of a human pilot and the human failure that's built into a human pilot who can't calculate all the angles and stuff like that, like a machine. Or you can pass that off and you can rely on the failings of code developed by humans in other words, the human failures are then passed on, but they're now encoded into the software of the system. Mm-hmm. And, and that's fascinating. If you now take like my last step, I swear, David, if you, if you look at the, um, uh, what was the, what was the, uh, Boeing, um, air, uh, aircraft? Was it 787 Max or 737 Max? 737 Max, right? That sounds correct. Yes. I think it was a 737 Max. You know, a couple of them crashed and killed a lot of people. Why did they crash? Because a software glitch had the machine doing all the wrong things and would crash the plane before the pilots could take it over. The pilots in an instant knew that it was wrong, but the machine was sure that it was right and it crashed them. Well, why did the machine think so? Because the code was wrong, which means human Mm -hmm. error got in. And in this case, it was more catastrophic than pilot error. If the pilot of the plane had done that, the co-pilot would say, no, dude, that's the wrong thing to do. Shift it, right? Or somebody else would have done it. Immediately, they could have figured out what was wrong and and adjusted those. But since it was hard-coded into the system – it had very little ability to correct. That's something to keep in mind as we think about AI and uh, these automations and things like that. There is not really a situation where you eliminate human error. And in the case of Willink, it's very interesting because what you're getting is you're getting broad-based stereotypes that are showing up through AI, which is really a reflection of things that were already encoded into the system. And so you're getting human error, but now you're getting human error magnified in some ways. You're getting things that work really well, but you're also getting things magnified. When you have a 737 MAX, you have a a, a flight system that can solve a lot of pilot problems, but can also kill pilots and passengers because it's so deeply buried in that when it messes up, the results are often catastrophic. Um, So you're almost trading off like these minor problems that could become major problems um, on the pilot side with – Mostly perfection, except for the catastrophic failures that are unfixable if you pass those, you know, human failures onto the automation side. And mm-hmm. uh, you'll see a little bit of that in AI. So anyhow, some interesting perspective to think about in terms of what AI can and can't do. So, all right, David, was that too many leaps? I think I pulled together <laughs> Navy SEALs, Jocko Willink, C-3PO, 737 Max, and Mike Rose. So I, I'm pretty sure that's a that's – a, that, that's, I'd like to see AI try to do something like that, right? So. Uh, that that is uh, quite a series of connections, yeah. Uh, but I, I tracked with you for the most part. Um, okay, yeah, I like the, that. Uh, did you hear that, folks? That was a very gracious for the most part. That was that was David saying ninety percent of what you said. I have no idea what you're talking about, but I'm just gonna smile and nod. So, so. 
Oh, uh, well, uh, what I was going to say is uh, two things that I find particularly interesting. I think that uh, primarily your point about the fact that uh, you really can't ever avoid human error. It's just where the human error comes from, I think, is really significant. Uh, and I think just about anybody that is in uh, technology or software development or anything like that will verify that, yes, even with the most advanced computer systems, ultimately will have errors and a uh, bit recent for that is because of humans that are behind those systems. But and but is it but isn't it interesting to just like jump in quickly? Okay. I was uh so one of the guys was here recently posted in our our one of our send um Slack channels that he had he had gotten stranded at an airport um because of systems that went wrong, right? And mm. then he tried to eat dinner and he got a great seat at the only restaurant at the airport, his little small regional airport. And the computer system went down, and so he couldn't get served. Now, now what's interesting is that both those cases, what do we say? Those daggone computers messed up and stranded him in a little regional airport where he can't get fed, right? Mm-hmm. And yet, David, that's not really what happened, is it? Right? I mean, it was human mm-hmm. errors that got yeah. magnified and blown way up in both mm-hmm. the flight software systems and the computer system that ultimately prevented things. And a catastrophe where like, so a waitress might have forgotten your order. One person in the restaurant didn't get served. Somewhere a code problem happened and an entire restaurant sat, shut down. Nobody got fed and all that revenue was lost. But we, we, it's really interesting that we don't think of those secondary things as human errors. And yet they are. They're just human errors that then multiply and have a bigger force effect because they're automated. And, and that mm-hmm. was a pretty interesting, like I didn't, that didn't occur to me until I listened to this astronaut. I wish I could remember his name. I'm sorry for it. I'm not, not giving him due credit here. So sorry to cut you yeah. off. But. Yeah, well, and I think uh, ultimately, even in your chat GBT example, uh, ultimately, the way that that comes about is not just an error in the developers of chat GPT. What makes it interesting is that chat GPT learned from humans who put out perspectives and opinions online. And so m- at least my guess for why a lot of those very short-sighted generalizations of uh, Jocko Willink were uh were given as an answer by ChatGPT is because it is sourcing it from a lot of short-sighted, uninformed opinions that were put online by people who just didn't even take the time to do a tiny bit of research. And so, yeah, ultimately, even with uh, even with just the amazing things that AI can do with things like software development and coding, uh, they there's just absolutely so much potential for uh, human error. And uh, the thing that it reminds me of, uh, especially when you were talking about the astronaut thing, was uh, self-driving technologies and uh, sort of yeah. some of the controversy around that. And uh, actually, I referenced him earlier in the episode, uh, a YouTuber named Marquez Brownlee did a really interesting video where he uh, filmed his entire commute, uh, which is in a very busy part of New Jersey, uh, between his home and his office. And he filmed it in his Tesla trying to use full autopilot. And uh, what was super interesting is just observing the different scenarios where you could tell that the autopilot was struggling with how to adapt to certain circumstances and the few points where uh, Marquez, the driver, had to actually take over. And uh, just ultimately that, yes, self-driving technology has come a long way and there's a lot more way for it to come along. But ultimately because, yeah, it's software. It's something that is developed by humans and there's absolutely 
absolutely still going to be potential for error no matter how refined the system gets. Yeah, there's interesting things there because, again, like the C-3PO example, often there are things that are really easy. Um, there's a, a channel on YouTube called Fort9. They do a lot of videos about motorcycles, and they had a video uh, not that long ago about how a lot of motorcycle riders were getting killed by Teslas, and they almost always were getting killed mm. because the Teslas hit them from behind. And mm. so there was Tesla's kind of ignoring it, but this channel did a little in-depth um, uh, work on the technology behind it and came to the conclusion that if a motorcycle has two close together headlights, uh, that Tesla is likely – the Tesla AI is looking at that, and they think that that is a car very far in the distance when oh, in fact no. it's a motorcycle very, very, very close if you can see the distinction, if you can see the distinction between two things. And so – the, the Tesla thinks there's lots and lots of space when in fact – now, what is interesting to me about that – I mean it's interesting as a motorcyclist uh, you know, to, to, in terms of how that all works. But, but just think about that. There's really the dumbest human driver can recognize a motorcycle close up. They can hear it. They can see mm -hmm. it. They can – you know I mean like there's, there's so many things that would be hard to you to explain. But in a fraction of a millisecond, you would see that and be able to positively identify it. Um, mm -hmm. And yet, you know, an AI, which is in many ways vastly superior intellectually to a human in terms of all the stuff it processes, can't get something that for most for, – for, you know, even, a, even a small child would be able to look out the window and almost instantly their brain would tell them what that was. Um, mm -hmm. And so uh, that's kind of an interesting reflection here in terms of there's, there's an, an enormous amount of human intuition and knowledge that is always in some ways going to be faster and more natural than an AI – but it's also when when you look at any kind of AI, it is indeed an artificial intelligence of a sort with the, for emphasis on the artificial and that it is only it's going to encode, reproduce, sometimes on a massive scale, human error. And if you know, maybe our big concluding alternative idea for the day for this section is that if you if you fail to account for human error um, and recognize that even in something like AI, you are just not. You do not have a realistic nor an accurate view of the world. Uh, if you look for it and, and, and accept that it's going to be there, uh, then uh, that's probably puts you ahead in terms of your expectations and being able to to walk through the world as a realist to understand the world as it really is. Um, and I would just end from our perspective that as a Christian, this all makes sense, right? Uh, we, mm -hmm. we don't – we're not God. We don't have perfection. We live in a fallen, broken world that's marred by sin. And so it is not surprising to us to find that sin reflected in anything that humans create including something like AI. So. Mm -hmm. Well, we have covered a lot of ground in this episode today, everywhere from uh, Harvard teaching to surveys to uh, Marines and guns and uh, pretty much everything in between. We have covered a lot of ground today. But uh, if you have stuck with us through this entire episode, thank you for joining us. We really appreciate you listening in. Well, thanks again for joining us, everybody. Uh, it, just a quick reminder that if you're interested in things we talk about and you'd like to have an alternative idea about higher education, uh, then we'd like you to go over to Be Unbound, that's beunbound.us, and uh, check out what we offer there. We have programs for high school students through post-college. And in fact, if you want to go to the site, don't waste this year, that's don'twastethisyear.com, uh, you can learn about uh, Unbound's educational programs, specifically for those of you who could go to college, but have decided that you 
you don't want to. And there's a whole bunch of reasons that might lead you to that decision, uh, but you can find information on that site, including a webinar that we did recently that talks about how you might want to think about things, some alternative ideas for how you might use this upcoming year if you decided to avoid college in terms of maybe the, the debt and if you're not certain about what you want to do, but you want to use this year well, uh, we've got some ideas there and would welcome for you to go and check that out. Uh, thanks so much for listening and we'll look forward to talking to you again next week.